We said you can't spell the press box without S E C. Let me guess. Mike wrote this. Now it makes sense. Spelling's not our forte, but the SEC is here inside the press box. Ah, yes, we love us some Southeastern Conference football. We'll be there in Nashville next week to talk about it for SEC Football Media Days. But until then, we are gearing up a big, big week. We've got uh, Brad Nestler coming up later in the week. Ian Eagle is here tomorrow. Uh, Shannon B. Terry of On3 Sports and much more coming up as the week continues here as we get the countdown. 46 days to week zero right now. And Mike Grace pumped about it along with my partners Bart Heitch and Colin Lacey. We had a chance to talk to the man who literally wrote the book on the College Football Preview Magazine. My friend, nationally known as one of the best analysts in the country. His Bible, uh, his, his book, The College Football Bible for many experts in the country. He is Phil Steele, who joins us again, his second visit, I think, at least inside the press box. Phil, great to have you with us, man. How are you? I'm guessing maybe a chance to rest and relax now that you've got the book to print finally, huh? Yeah, this is definitely my fun time of the year, guys. You know, uh, during the magazine, we spent seven months grinding on that thing. A lot of 80-hour work weeks involved there. During football season, it's about 100-plus hour work weeks as I try to watch every single game every single week. Uh, this time, June or July and August, uh, doing like maybe six or seven radio shows a day, maybe working 50 hours a week, just sort of kicking back, relaxing. Well, that, that's a cool thing. And look, when we spoke last year, Phil, we talked about how – uh, you had to adapt to this new college football world with, with with your preview magazine in the age of the transfer portal now. Your job only got harder. So tell us, with, with last year under your belt, what about the process for building this 2023 version any easier than it was a year ago? Uh, it did get a little bit easier in the fact that the transfer portal closed a little bit earlier this year. It closed on May the 15th. And, you know, there were actually uh, mag- uh, preseason magazines out on the shelf on June 1st, which means they had to go to the press May 1st before the magazine, before the uh, transfer portal even closed. We waited till the transfer portal closed May 15th and then th- gave it three more weeks. We wanted to find out where the players were going to put them on the right teams. Uh, all the coaches had my cell phone number. I said, text me if you get anybody. I was getting texts all during those three weeks. Hey, we signed this guy. Hey, we signed this guy. And so when we finally went to the press on June 7th, we were able to capture almost all the moves that happened in the transfer portal. There's been very little activity uh, since the magazine went to the press. So we go to the press later, but uh, the advantages are clearly uh, doing it. There are a lot of advantages in doing that. Hey, Phil, it's Colin. You and I have talked about it in years past, but the process of how you get this book to print absolutely blows my mind. It's a whole family ordeal. You talk about your daughters helping you pick out pictures and in years past helping you get it out to shipping and whatnot. But what's this process look like for you from the day you start the 23 magazine until you finally get the first book out? Yeah, that's a great question. And, uh, you know, I I do have a staff of uh, 10 to 15 people that work here year-round. And uh, we start the uh, Sunday after Thanksgiving when some of the team seasons are complete. And then we do it in a first write-through process, which is uh, we capture every article that was written about the team during the course of the year. I read through that entire thing. Some are like five, 600 pages. Uh, really gets you in a flavor of what happened this past year. I witnessed what happened, but it sort of brings it all back. And, 
eat on a week-to-week basis. And then we write the positions, uh, which basically entail three things. Number one, what kind of shape were they heading into last year? What happened last year? What kind of shape are they headed into this year? Are they better or weaker? And then the second write-through process after that one, and that's a, a good two-month process right there, uh, is pre-spring, where we get the rosters from the uh, uh, schools, uh, we get all the transfers that have come in so far, and we get that all updated. We sort of rewrite each of the positions, re-rank all of the power ratings. But the third and most important process is the, uh, the coaching interviews. And this year I talked to uh, about 122, 123 of the 133 head coaches out there. Spend about an hour with each of them going over every player on the roster, strengths, weaknesses, what they feel about each position, and that's when we wrap up the final process. So it's a seven-month ordeal getting this thing out to the press. Uh, I know I added up the words and the numbers, and it comes out to a little over a million words and numbers in the magazine each and every year. And if you're just 1% off, that's a, that's a huge amount of typos. So we have to be point zero 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 one off to uh, make this magazine the way I want it. Yeah, Phil Bart here, and uh, I grew up on Lindy's, and this is a little more in depth. No offense to Lindy, but this is uh, this is this is pretty high level stuff. And I actually heard you—I can't remember what it was on channel, uh, ESPN Channel eighty four. Uh, it might have been uh, New Heisel, I think, or some of those guys. But you were talking about the formula, and like, and, and I caught the end of it, and I would love to hear you elaborate on I, what I remember is like a team like Wisconsin. There's a whole formula. That, that going into this year that you base on its schedules, it's who they play, it's who they don't play, sometimes more importantly. But how much of this formula and all these things that you put out for your predictions is Phil Still's brain and how much of it is his stats? Oh, it's it's a, a huge combination of all of those things. And, you know, we've I've got all these. We started out with the first metric back in 1995, which was turnovers equals turnaround, which said basically if you benefited from plus 10 in turnovers one year, the next year you would have a weaker record. And then vice versa, if you were minus 10 turnovers or more, uh, the next year you'd actually have a stronger record. And that's been going on now for 29 years, 75% accuracy in that respect. So we've added more things like close wow. wins, close losses. Losses, uh, the YPP factor, the stock market indicator, all those, and then I have nine different sets of power ratings. So there's uh, uh, different ways of looking at a team. Sometimes, like Texas Tech, for example, this year, uh, my nine sets of power ratings. I've got one of them that calls for Texas Tech to go five and seven. Two of them call for them to go eleven and one. <laughs> then I have to say, okay, what is it going to be this year? Now, in Wisconsin's case, it's a talent. They've got ten starters back on offense, and I like what they're doing. In there, they've got uh, they bring in a SMU's quarterback and Tanner Mordecai. They're going to throw the football more. And when I went over the team with Coach Fickle, I was concerned about that because Wisconsin's been known to run the football. And he says we're not going away from the run game, Phil. In fact, I think we're going to open up the run game a little bit, give a little more breathing room to Allen and Malusi because teams are going to have to defend the pass instead of stacking the box. They've got an outstanding offensive line, and the defense goes from three starters back to eight starters back on defense, so they're much tougher there even. And then the schedule. They, their road games are all winnable. Washington State, Purdue, Illinois, Indiana, and Minnesota. Toughest two games of the year are Ohio State and Iowa. They get them both at home. Uh, that's why I've got Wisconsin as my number one surprise team in the country. It wouldn't surprise me at all if Luke Fickle, who took a group of five team into the playoff, manages to get Wisconsin into the playoff this year.
He is Phil Steele, again, the Bible of the college football experts of that preview magazine, which you can get right now online, philsteele.com, S-T-E-E-L-E.com. Michael and Bart and Colin, and I want to get back to the SEC. That's where we, we're in SEC country here, man. I look at only two new head coaches, and one of those is Hugh Freeze, who returns to the Southeastern Conference. So that makes Zach Garnett the only first-time head coach here in the SEC this year. But 10 of the 14 teams have new offensive coordinators. We'll see how many new quarterbacks we see as well. So how do you see this 2023 season playing out in the Southeastern Conference? Well, I think it's going to be interesting, as always. And, uh, you know, let's start with the East, guys. And uh, I'm going out on a limb here. I'm going to pick Georgia to win the East. How's oh, that? Imagine. <laughs> imagine. I think Georgia's got a chance of being the first team since the 1930s when Minnesota did it to be a three-peat national champ. And it's a combination for Georgia of talent and schedule. Uh, when you look at Georgia, your biggest question mark is quarterback. They're losing a really good one in Stetson Bennett. While Carson Beck, probably bigger, stronger, faster, all that stuff. Uh, what about the intangibles? You wonder there. However, he's got a great supporting cast, offensive line, running back, receivers, the defense. The defense, while they lose some key players, they're nowhere near like last year. Last year they lost all those key players on defense. Uh, I think it was eight NFL draft picks, most of them in the first round. This year they're actually more experienced defensively, so probably the best defense in the country. And then factor in the schedule. They're going to be a double-digit favorite in their first ten games. So by the time probably the tough game of the season rolls around during the regular season at Tennessee. Carson Beck's going to have 10 starts under his belt. He's going to be a veteran quarterback at that time. I see Georgia running the table. If anybody's going to knock off Georgia in the East, I'd go with Tennessee. Tennessee's a team that um, has got Joe Milton at quarterback, and this guy can throw a football 90 yards. He's got everything you want. NFL scouts are drooling over him. He's also in his third year in the Tennessee system, so that he may be close to Hendon Hooker. I don't know if he's going to duplicate 27 touchdowns and just two interceptions, that might be the key. But other than that, Tennessee's got pretty much improved at every position. So I think Tennessee's a threat to Georgia. They get them at home, but I did go with Georgia there. And as far as the rest of the East goes, I think it's going to be highly competitive. Who gets that number three spot? South Carolina, Kentucky, uh, Florida, all in the mix there. So I think the East is improving uh, as always. Now the West is, has been acknowledged as the tougher conference in recent years, and I think the West is the tougher division once again. Uh, I'm going with Alabama. And with Alabama, they've been the preseason number one each of the last two years and have won the title each year. But Nick Saban's always at his most dangerous when he's not preseason number one. That's this year. If they can get quarterbacks sorted out, and they've got three good candidates, Buckner, Milrow, and Simpson, I think Saban will get that sorted out. The, it's an inexperienced team. They only rank number 127 by experience chart. But as you know, Saban, all that talent they've got, at the end of the year they'll probably be looking pretty good. And they do get the big game against LSU at home. So I like Alabama there. LSU's a stronger team than last year. Uh, they're going to be uh, the key competitor. They'll be in the preseason top 10 heading into the season, probably preseason number 5 heading into the year. Uh, they've got the quarterback in Jaden Daniels. They've got a, a more experienced team than last year with 15 returning starters, and they're a threat to Alabama. And then my surprise in the West this year, guys, is Texas A&M. And Texas A&M was just 5-7 last year, but when I was going over the team with Coach Jimbo Fisher last year, 
a lot of the positions, like offensive line, he would say, Phil, we're going to have a really good offensive line next year. And, you know, he was talking about this year's team, and he'd say, next year we're going to be really good. Well, they were number 124 on my experience chart last year, one of the least experienced teams in the country. And they only went 5-7, and seven, but even in a 5-7 and seven year, they knocked off LSU at home, and they were at the two-yard line of Alabama, threatening to win the game at the end, just came up short. Well, this year, A&M's got 10 starters back on offense. They also add in Bobby Petrino as the offense coordinator. you got Connor Wegman at QB, one of the best offensive lines in the country. Defensively, 10 starters are back. They get Alabama at home. Remember, they almost beat them last year on the road. They did beat them last time they played the College Station. If you're looking for a sleeper pick in the West, it's Texas A&M, my number one uh, most improved team and number two surprise team in the country. So staying on that uh, that narrative a little bit with the West, Phil, um, a couple of us on the show believe maroon and white, and uh, as our listeners do, but I'm curious of those other four teams in the West, of Auburn, of Arkansas, of uh, Ole Miss, and of Mississippi State, which one of those do you see um, maybe inching up toward that, competing toward that third, maybe even second position if something crazy were to happen, um, even contend for the West? Yeah, I'm going with Ole Miss here. Uh, you know, Ole Miss got nine starters back on offense. And, you know, last year Jackson Dart sort of had an uneven year, but it's his second year in the system. I think he does win that job this year uh, and holds off Spencer Sanders and Walker Howard, the two touted transfers. They've got Judkins at running back. They add in Bentley at running back. And Bentley's a guy uh, who's had, had great success, uh, you know, at other places. Uh, they've also added in a true freshman in Kedrick Riscano. So I like the running back core. The receivers look good. Getting UTSA's Zachary Franklin was a big pickup for the receiving core. And defensively, I think they're going to be stronger. And when you look at their schedule, uh, it's, it's manageable. They do have to play Bama on the road, and they play Georgia on the road. So those are two games that I'm going to say they lose. But other than that, they have opportunities in all the other ones. They get the A&M game at home. So if anybody's going to sneak in there from the bottom, the, the other four, I would have to say it's old Miss. Just flip it over to the east side, Phil. We've talked about Georgia. You mentioned Tennessee a little bit earlier. Are there any of these others that could threaten Georgia at the top? Um, I don't. I don't think talent wise, the other ones are up there yet. Um, Kentucky uh, has given the big boys problems in the past. They've got ten starters back. I actually think they get an upgrade at quarterback with Devin Leary coming in. Uh, so, and they had Ray Davis, the thousand-yard rushing runner from Vanderbilt. They'll be better. I don't know if they're ready to uh, challenge Georgia. And same thing with South Carolina. I mean, Shane Beamer, what a job this guy's done. You go back to his first year. I think the over/under win total for South Carolina in year one was three or three and a half, and he gets them to seven. Last year, he gets them to eight and five. I mean, when they were six and four last year, and they had Tennessee and Clemson on deck, you're thinking, okay, a six and six year for South Carolina, but then they knocked Tennessee out of the playoffs, and they knocked Clemson out of the playoffs last year, which was really remarkable. Now, they only have 10 starters back overall, so they're rather inexperienced as far as that goes, but they've got the special teams, and if Shane Rattler plays like he did at the end of the year, or Spencer Rattler, I should say, at the end of the year rather than the start of the year, Mm -hmm. they could be dangerous, but I really think the East is going to come down to that Georgia-Tennessee matchup. So over the last couple of years, Phil, we've seen, you know, the Coastal Carolinas kind of make people think Cincinnati gets in the playoff. Who is that team outside the big conferences that, um, that you see uh, surprising people that we need to keep an eye on going into the season? And who is their big game that they might uh, get on the radar with? 
Uh, well, the one team I would I would look at. I mean, I think there's four teams that are in contention for that top one. And by the way, I don't think any Group of Five team runs the table this year. So I think that no, uh, you know we'll see one of them make the the uh, the January one bowl, but we won't see anyone contend for the playoff. But I got UTSA as a top spot, and uh, Jeff Trailer's just doing a remarkable job with UTSA. They are taking a step up from CUSA to the American Conference, but the American Conference has lost its top four teams, so there's a little void at the top. Uh, their big game would be at Tennessee. If somehow UTSA knocks off Tennessee, look out! Everybody's talking about the Roadrunners at that point. They've got a quarter quarterback and Frank Harris that's been around about as long as I've been printing a magazine since 1995. Uh, actually, he's only been there, I think, seven years. But uh, Frank Harris, last year had LASIK surgery, and look what he did. He improved all over to 4,000 yards passing, 32-9 ratio. They've got the receiving core with Cephas and Clark. I think UTSA can win the American, and generally the team that wins the American is, is graded out as the top uh, group of five team. He is Phil Steele. Again, you can get the magazine online, philsteele.com. Follow him on Twitter, at philsteele042. A final couple of minutes with, uh, with with Phil, along with Mike and Bart and Colin. I know this is a tough question for anybody to, to, to answer, but if we're going to ask anybody, we need to ask you, I think, Phil. When we go to a 12-team playoff next year, how's that going to impact this this whole postseason thing? You know, We saw two great games in the semis last year and then a blowout in the national championship game. Well, what's the what's the twelve team format going to give us in the future, man? Well, the the one thing, uh, one of my concerns with expanding the playoff from four to twelve was the the injury factor. You know, what happens if your top teams in the country play these games early on, and while they win them, they lose a couple of key players, and all of a sudden you get to the championship game and you don't have your teams at full strength. That would be a concern for me. Uh, I've always been a four-team playoff guy, but I tell you what, it's we're going to the 12 teams, so I'm not going to fight it. We're going to see how it happens. One thing it does do is it opens up the door for more teams to have that uh, possibility of making a playoff. And, you know, as long as we're playing more football, Football guys, I'm a. That's what I do is college football year round. It's the only sport I follow. So as we're getting more football, I, I got to be happy about it. And again, the way to get that magazine is philsteel.com and in select bookstores as well around the country. Phil. Yeah, but the only two out there this year. We've we normally been all over the place, but we're exclusively this year at Barnes and Noble and Books a Million. And I know there's plenty of them down there in the South, both Barnes and Noble and Books a Million. So uh, make sure you check out those two places or philsteel.com. Easy as pie, Phil. Thanks so much, man. We love the work that you do. We certainly appreciate your time here inside the press box, and and look forward to talking again next time, man. In the meantime, put a cool rag on your head and uh, and take a few minutes off, okay? <laughs> <laughs> so hey, always great talking football with you guys. Thanks for having me on today. Yeah, again, Phil Steele with us. Again, of the Phil Steele College Football Preview Magazine at philsteele.com. P-H-I-L-S-T-E-E-L-E. Just that simple. What a great guy. And, uh, man, he knows his stuff. But, as I say, only the most accurate preview magazine out there for 28 years running. Um, he knows his stuff. And, and uh, be fun to, again, continue to peruse that magazine as, as we do throughout the football season, man. That's kind of the kickoff to college football. I know everybody <laughs> says – SEC media days, these media days are what kick off college football. No, it's when you get Phil Steele's magazine in the That's right. You open that thing up, and my wife makes fun of me all the time because I get it, and I open it up, and it's like Christmas again. Yeah. And she's like, 
Yes, I know. Colin, I'm now, again, Colin, do you, Colin, do you look at him and or do you look at her and say, "Hey, honey, do you try to get her to come? Do you like try to give her the points and stuff and get her into yeah, it?" No, that's that's not happening. Only <laughs> only people of my uh, generation will, will get this, but but now getting the Phil Steel magazine in my mailbox is like getting the Sears catalog in my mailbox as a 10-year-old. You know what I'm saying? Because it was all the toys and all the cool stuff. I, Chris, I would get the Sears Christmas catalog, you know, in, in November or something like that. And yet, that, that this, this is the equivalent of that, man. It's it's Christmas in July, courtesy of Feel Steel and PhilSteel.com. Our thanks to him as the press box rolls and wraps up hour number one, but still another hour to go. Great to have you with us on stations throughout the Southeast, online, PressBoxRadio.com. John Bond, number 13, former MS quarterback joins us later and more headlines when we come back hour two of the press box just around the corner